welcome to the Redeemer 20 Sermon Podcast, where our goal is to glorify God through the fulfillment of the Great Commission. My name is Luke Dirks, and I'm your host, and I'm also privileged to lead the 20s ministry at Redeemer Church in beautiful Rockford, Illinois. The sermon you are about to hear was preached at our Thursday night gathering at 7 p.m. We hope you enjoy this, and we hope you also join us at a future Thursday. Good evening, everybody. Um, for those of you maybe who are new here or haven't, or maybe just a couple, three weeks, uh, I'm Chad Wetstein. I'm one of the elders here at Redeemer. Thank you. <laughs> um, I should have waited for that. I knew that was coming. But, um, but I'm excited tonight to share the gospel message with you. It comes in John chapter 12, verse 44 to 50, if you want to open your Bibles. But, you know, I was just thinking, what does it mean to be on mission, to have a mission, to have uh, something you are, uh, you don't want to be distracted from, you are focused completely on. And I think sometimes when my wife will send me to the grocery store and I don't have a note and I got to remember in my head, okay, I need bread, milk, eggs, Oreos. Skittles, um, no, those weren't on there, but I try to keep my mind focused. Don't distract me because I'll lose my, what I'm on task for. Or if I have to say, okay, I'm, so I'm in construction, so I measure something, I go out and cut it. If I don't keep focus or on mission, I'll forget it. It's just, maybe that's part of my, partly my age, but I will forget it. But when we're on mission, we're on focus, um, uh, we need, we're all in, we're all um, everything about us, we just have to focus on that. And, but Christ is, is, he was on a mission. He had a mission of why he came to earth. And, and I think of when I was just trying to think of a title, I'm like, okay, how do I think this up? And I'm like, wait a minute, mission impossible. No, wait, with Christ, all things are possible. So the title tonight is Mission Possible. And I think, I think that I, I was thinking when I come up with this, I'm like, all right, this is Tom Cruise's, you know, the Top Gun thing is what I was thinking. And I was totally wrong. So I have no idea what the Mission Impossible movies are about other than some guy is trying to clear himself. He focuses everything that he has to clear his name. And that was the opposite of Christ. He had his focus was to tell the world who he was. And so if we read here in John chapter 12, uh, verse 44, we'll start out. It says, and Jesus cried aloud and he said, whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So that I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I did not come to the judge of the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge, and the word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken of my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So we just come off of in, in earlier in chapter 12, if you remember, um, Brendan talked and then I think Alex preached too on the plot to kill Lazarus, but the people were, 
they are unbelieving in, they see the works, they saw the work Christ did, especially like with Lazarus raising him from the dead. And yet there were still people that did not believe. Or there were some that believed, but they didn't want to profess that they knew because they feared the people. And so this comes here as Jesus's last, if I'm not mistaken, this is last public speaking to the crowd, to the people. From here on out until his, um, until his death, he talks mainly to his disciples. And so here he's crying out loud. It's like his last ditch effort to say, listen to me. Whoever believes in me, you're not only believing in me, but you're also believing in the one who sent me. So you're believing in the greater mission. But when we think about the word believe, it says in, um, in James, it talks about, it says, you, you believe, he says, you do well, but the demons also believe, and they shudder, they tremble. It's like, so what's the difference between us believing in Jesus and the demons believing? And we think about the demons, they know their fate, right? And so that's why they shudder, but they know that Jesus is the Christ. But for us, it's an acting belief. It's we, we are believing, we're acting out. It's like we're accepting that what Christ has done is true, is real, is genuine. We have this firm, wholehearted religious conviction of who Jesus is. And when that, that belief travels from our head down to our heart, we're going to live out our faith. And, and so... But if we say that I believe, but yet we don't put it into action, it's like um, trying to think of the singer songwriter Ray, Rich Mullins had a song called "Faith with Without Works is like a screen door on a submarine." <laughs> it's pointless, right? And so we can't say that we have faith and we believe, but yet we don't act on that conviction upon that that belief. So. But anyway, so point number one here in mission possible, in Christ and his mission, what, did he, what was one of the things that he came to do? It was part of his mission. And he says in verse um, 46, he says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Um, and he says to earlier, back up a verse says, whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. So we're, we're not only believing in Christ, but we're believing in the work, the greater work that God has for us. And that God's bigger plan for our life is he wants an intimate relationship with each one of us. He doesn't want this relationship that's far off. He wants to be up close and personal in our life and living out our life for him. And it's, you know, we are seeing um, when he says, whoever sees me sees him who sent me. It's like in Hebrew where uh, the writer says, in Hebrews 1, verses 2 and 3, it says, He is the radiance, talking about Jesus, He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of His nature. So God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit, their DNA, I'm not a nurse, but I know there's a bunch of chromosomes and everybody's DNA is completely different, right? And you nurses are going to be laughing at me. Okay. But everybody's DNA is different, but Jesus and God... They're the same DNA. Jesus is the exact imprint of God's nature, his character, everything about him. And so when, we, when they, we see Jesus, we're seeing God and who he is. And so it's just, it's just an exact. And so Christ is radiating 
of the glory of God. It's not just a dim, uh, like a glow-in-the-dark. As a kid, you had those. Uh, we had all, my age, we had different toys that you shut off the lights, and it would glow in the dark. What, that's not radiance. Radiance of Christ is so much. Try looking at the sun, and that doesn't compare to radiance that Christ is of God, of God's glory. <clears throat> but, so when we see Jesus, we are seeing God. And he says, I have come into the world as light, so whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. Did you catch that where he says, I have come into the world as light? He didn't say, I came into the world to be a light. He came in as light. So Christ was already light. I mean, you think about it, he's with God, the radiance, but he came into the world as light to shine in the darkness, so that, but that we may not remain in darkness. And you think of darkness is when it's, um, he said there was a heavy darkness that covered the earth. And when we think of darkness, when I think of darkness, darkness is referring to sin in our lives. And if you've ever been, you hear some people say, well, I was in a really dark place in my life. And I don't know about you, but I've been there. And it is heavy. It weighs on your heart. You feel the darkness is sin. It was sin in my life that separated me from God. And I felt that. And Jesus says, I am coming that you will not, may not remain in darkness. You may not remain in your sin. I'm the light that shines out. And when we're in that state of darkness of sin, we're just stumbling about. We're in our sin. We cannot see the light of the world because we are so focused. We're so blinded from our sin. You know, I, I happen to think, <laughs> I'm thinking of darkness. And, you know, I think we know the way. And I have to, at night, I shut the light off in our bedroom. And I have to walk between the dresser and our bed. And I think, I've walked it how many times? And I know exactly where the bed's at, right? And I know where the dresser's at because the clock is right here illuminating. I don't know how many times I have stubbed my toe on the <laughs> leg of that bed. And I'll cry out and Dan goes, you stubbed your toe again? He's like, yeah, I know exactly who moved the bed, right? No, the bed didn't move. I moved. And that's the way it is with sin. We're so blinded. When we're, we're in darkness... Um, you know, even as a believer, sometimes when we walk away from God, or we, we approach, approach more upon our own sin, our own life, um, God hasn't moved. It's us that has moved away from God in the darkness. But Jesus says, I've come as a light into the world that you may not remain in darkness. He takes us, he takes us out of that darkness jail, right? And, and he's wanting to, he wants to turn the light on in our life. But we have to, to let him you know, say, okay, Jesus, I am struggling in my sin so much. I can't do it. I need you to flip the light on in my soul so that I can see you, that I can be with you and live forever. Um, I love, uh, I was kind of, in my devotions, I go through Peter and now I'm in 1 John. And I love where, John writes in chapter 1 of 1 John, he says, This is the message that we heard from Christ. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And if we say that we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we're lying, and we're not doing the, practicing the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, Christ, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Okay, 
Jesus, turn on the light of my soul. You know, we need to welcome Christ into our lives. So the, the second point is, what else is, was, him, was he on mission for? And it says in verse, um, even though I have bifocal contacts, I can't always see everything. But it says, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. And you say, wait a minute, isn't Christ the judge? But that's the second coming, right? Not the first coming. He's, I didn't come to judge. I didn't come to judge the world, but to save the world. I came to save the world. That, that takes great love, right? To know that you're in heaven with God, with the Father. You know, people that die and they see the light, they see, they have a glimpse of, of heaven or whatever, whatever, and they say, don't, don't send me back. I don't want to go back. Jesus was there. He came here because of his great love to save us. And it says, um, um, he came to save us from what? He came to save us from the judgment, the wrath of God, that our sin is due. When we sin, we, are, we deserve the wrath of God, right? Jesus came to save us from that. And sometimes our biggest enemy in our sin is ourselves, right? It's like we think that we have it all put together. We know what we're doing and, and we want to go out and do what we want because, oh, Jesus saves me. It's like, no. We have to keep following in Christ's word, in him. <clears throat> but when he says that he doesn't, um, that he came to save us, it doesn't give us a license to go out and sin, right? In, in Romans 5, Paul says, where, grace, where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. He said, what, should we continue in sin that grace may abound? It's absolutely not. That's kind of pointless, right? Um, that's pushing the envelope a little bit. But no, he said, you know, we are to follow after Christ because of what he has done, how he has changed us. We are to live that out in our lives. And I like it in John 3.16. That's kind of the famous verse that everybody uses, right? You know, football players will wear it on their, underneath their eye or their, that's their motto, whatever, 316, it says, for God so loved. And we stop and think about the, the seriousness of the, just how huge this is, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He gave him up. I mean, as a parent, I don't know that I would give up one of my kids for you guys. Sorry. But God <laughs> did. He gave up his only son for all of us, for the whole world to be saved. But it says that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so, so, but we have to believe in Christ to be saved. And it's like, you think about it, but God says that it's my words. If you reject my words, you're condemned already. And you think about somebody, here I go with a medical explanation again, but if you go to an oncologist, is that the cancer guy? If you go to the oncologist, you have cancer, <laughs> You go to the doctor because it's like, I have a life-threatening illness, right? And so you want to see if he can help you, radiation, chemotherapy, whatever, to, to rid yourself, your body of that cancer. But if you go in and say, this is stupid, uh, there's no point in going, there's nothing he can do, I'm wasting my time, the guy's a fraud, 
And we're rejecting every advice that the oncologist professional gives us. We're kind of condemning our own self and our own life and the fact that, yeah, there is nothing you can do because you're not listening to them. So we're judged by the word of God, by Christ's word. And if we're rejecting that, we're rejecting his work on the cross. It's our actions on belief. But it says, if we go further in John 3.16 to 3.18, which a lot of times is skipped over, it says, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he's not believed in the name of the only Son of God. So before we come to faith in Christ, we're condemned already, right, as sinners. And so that's, it's not something we have to, like, put forth effort to unsave ourselves. I mean, we're already condemned before we come to Christ. But the words that God, that Christ gives us are the words of eternal life. They are words of, uh, they're a breath of fresh air, right? And I was just thinking, what are some of the words of Christ that if we don't believe them, if we reject them, if we, well, by saying not believing, it means we're rejecting, right? Christ says, if you believe in me and who he is, what's his purpose, what's his mission? If we don't believe in Christ, we're rejecting him. If, he says, I've come to give life through his death and his resurrection. And if we don't believe that, we're rejecting that because that's, that's how he saved us through his death and his resurrection. He says, I'm the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father but through the Son. And if we don't believe that Jesus is the only way, we've missed the boat. And if the Son has set you free, Jesus says, you are free indeed. We are free indeed from the bondage of sin, from the darkness that he has came to be a light for, that we would not remain. If we don't believe that, we reject in Christ. He says, apart from me, you can do nothing. Well, we can do stuff, but nothing good, right, for the kingdom. We need Christ in our lives to do what he has called us to do. And that he's come as a light into the world as light to show us the way, to show us the path to God, the Father. And there's, there's so many more words. I mean, we could, we could flip through the Gospels here and find two pages or three pages, four pages of the words of Christ and what he's called us to do. But if we reject those words... We're rejecting the, the work of Christ, and that's, that's blasphemy, right? To reject the work that Christ has done, or to say that we can save ourselves. Sometimes we think that, you know, by just actions alone, without believing in Christ, um, you know, some people want to say, well, I mean, I go to church, I'm, I, I say the, the rosary, or, or, you know, I have prayer, I go to 20s or whatever, and to think that that's okay, that, that's it, that's being safe. But that's like us trying to do better. It's like us trying to like work for God's approval, right? We don't need... That's, that's every other religion in the world, is to work to please our God, their God. But for us, it's the opposite. It's the other way around. It's God has already done the work to make us accepted to, in Christ, to make us accepted is through the blood of Jesus Christ. He's done that work for us. <clears throat> you know, I, I think of, um, I was just thinking as I was writing this, I had a conversation with one of my coworkers one time. And on the back of his truck, it said a, a sign that's, one of the window stickers that says, Jesus saves. And I asked him, I said, I said, do you know what that means? He had bought the truck used from Minnesota or somewhere. I said, you know what that means? He goes, no, I have no clue. I said, awesome, let me tell you. 
And it just opened up the great door for the gospel, right, to share the gospel. And in the end, he's like, well, he said, I'm, I'm not good enough. I, I, there's some things I need to straighten out in my life before I can come to church or before I can come to Jesus. And it's like, no, that's not how it works, dude. That's not how it works. It's not you straightening yourself out. It's God straightening you out. You know, by saying that, that's only trying to clear ourselves of the guilt of our sin. And it's trying to save ourselves. And it's like, that's not it. We're not the ones that saved us. That's, that's Jesus' job. He's the one that saved us. He came to save the world. So we need to, you know, and it's like the saying, it says, um, people have this, this bumper sticker, it says, Jesus is my co-pilot. And it's like, really? He's your co-pilot? So you're in charge and Jesus is backup? And it's like, no, it's the other way around. How about let Jesus be your pilot? Let him take charge of your life. It's like if the plane goes down, if you're a pilot of a plane and you're the pilot and it goes down, you're doomed. But if Jesus is the pilot of your plane and of your life, that plane ain't never going down. We need to trust in him. We need to say, Lord Jesus, come into my heart. I believe. Fly my plane. Take charge. Take control of my life. And he has the authority to do that, right? But where did he get that authority? You know, so point number three is that in his mission, he not only came as a light in the world in darkness, he came to save the world, not to judge it, but he also came as submitting to authority. Is point number three. He submitted to the authority. He says, um, he says, for I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment. And it reminded me of Luke 19, where Jesus came to the temple. If you remember the story, and the people, they were selling, they were money exchangers. There were people selling doves and sheep and whatever for people that came to the feast, or not to the feast, but to the Passover for sacrifices that they offered on the altar. And these people were robbing them blind. They were exchanging money if they were come from, from Greece and they were Jewish and, and they, would, you know, they weren't given money for money. And it was, they were cheating and robbing the people. Or they were selling pigeons. If it was worth two cents, they were selling them for four because they had to have them, right? And that irritated Jesus because he says, you have, this is my father's house and you have made it a den of thieves. And so he picked up a whip and he started throwing the tables upside down, sending money everywhere, kicking people out. And then he sat down and he was teaching the people daily in the temple. And the chief priests and the scribes, they were irritated with that. And they said, who gave you? It says, tell us by what authority you do these things or who it is that gave you this authority. Because they're like, we're the leaders. Where do you get this authority? You're just some carpenter from Nazareth, right? And Jesus turn it back on themselves, and he says, okay, I have one question for you. The baptism of John, was it from God, or was it of men? And so they had to mumble and grumble among themselves, saying, well, if you say it's from, from God, then he'll say, why didn't you believe? And they say, well, if it's men, we, we know that it's from God. So they said, well, we don't know. He said, well, then I'm not going to tell you by what authority I do these things. But yet here, in his last sermon to the people, he says, I'll tell you by what authority I do, and it's not my own authority. It's God's. He has given me a command of what to say, what to speak. You say, well, that says the same thing, what to say, what to speak. But he's emphasizing the, um, 
the importance of the fact that what he is saying is divine. It is from God. So, and you think of God giving, he has the authority. Jesus is acting on his authority. God has given him a commandment. He's like a mediator, right? He's an ambassador. He is saying exactly what the Father wants us to know. But as an ambassador, you think of an ambassador coming, we're an ambassador for the United States to Yugoslavia or to Nigeria or to wherever. We're acting on behalf of the United States. And if we act and say something other than what we're told to say, it's like we're not being obedient to authority. But Jesus is acting on the authority of God, saying, I am representing God to the people, to the to you. I'm saying and teaching you what God has commanded me to say. He says in John chapter 7, 16, he says, my teaching is not my own. It comes from the one who sent me. He says, and he's, so he's relaying to us, God, he's saying, God sent me here to tell you, to teach you the words of eternal life. I have them. I'm going to tell you them. And he didn't bring his own agenda or his own ideas in this world. He didn't say things to make people accept him and think that he was cool. He came with, under the authority of God and teaching us his words. And, you know, I, I, in my mind, I'm picturing that um, Jesus coming under authority, being sent by God. And this is, I know this is maybe a bad analogy. This is football season, right? So I see God and Jesus and the Holy Spirit huddling together and they say, okay, here's the plan. Jesus, you're going to grab the ball, and you're going to run right through that, that line, that defensive line. You're going to hit a lot of restriction. You're going to hit um, a lot of people coming at you. They want to take you out. You're going to have resistance, but you're going to make it. And, and he knew that he was going to have to suffer. He was going to have to go through that defensive line. I mean, what, a million people saying, crucify him, crucify him. And they rejected his teachings but he pushed on. He knew what his calling was. He knew what his mission was. And even that, he still obeyed God's authority. I mean, at one point, he was, he, when he knew his time was coming close to his crucifixion, he was such in agony. I don't know if any of you, I've never heard of it before, but he was sweating and so stressed over it that he was sweating sweat drops of blood. Not sweat but blood. And he was in such agony. He's like, Lord, Father, if this cup can be taken away from me, if I don't have to do this, this would be great. But yet, I want what you want. And I want your will to be done. And so he continued with, this, I mean, with what he was called to do. He went through that pain and the agony. And you know, and I think what was the most painful part of that, of the crucifixion for Jesus? You think about, I don't think it was being whipped and scourged within an inch of his life. And if you've ever seen the, the movie um, Passion of the Christ, it does a very graphic display of what Jesus went through of being whipped and tortured and people laughing at him, the, the Roman guards or generals laughing at what they were doing. That was painful on human standards, but I don't think that was the most painful thing that Jesus went through. Nor was it having the nails run through his wrists here and his feet being nailed to the cross. That would be painful. Trust me, I, I, I've gotten splinters in my fingers before. A nail in your wrist is nothing compared to that, but it sure hurts. And 
But I don't think that was the most painful thing for him. But I think the most painful thing for Christ was he knew that he was going to be the ultimate sacrifice. He knew that he was going to bear the weight of your sin and of my sin on the cross. He was going to be that curse for us so that we could have eternal life, that we could walk in the light, that we could not remain in our own sin. We would not have that just wrath from God for our sins. He took that. He took it with him to the cross, that weight of our sin on the whole world, of the, the sin of the whole world on his shoulders. But I think the most painful thing for him was was more of an emotional pain because God hates sin, right? And that's why the wrath of God, for those that reject Christ's words in Christ, we reject him, the wrath of God, not that he wants to, but he's a just God and he has to have that wrath. John talked about it on Sunday against those who do not believe. But Jesus took that wrath and because God hates sin in that moment, Christ he was separated from God because God hates sin. He cannot look on sin. But that moment that he took on our sin on his shoulders, I think was the most painful part because he had never been separated from God before, ever. And he'd been with, with God from longer than we can even imagine. You know, we think, oh, beginning of time, six, 7,000 years ago, eternity's past. Christ has always been with God. Always, never separated. And at that moment, he felt that darkness. That darkness of our sin on him. So I don't know about you, but that thought of Christ taking my punishment, my sin, the get out of jail free card, the get out of jail, darkness jail free card, really compels me to like, okay, number one, to worship him. One, Number two, to be eternally grateful for what he has done. But it just compels me to say, okay, I need to be more sharing the gospel. I need to be more reflecting, be an image bearer of who Christ is to those around me, wherever it is, whether it's somebody walking downtown or if it's the, um, the guy in the, in the Papa John's or the Jimmy John's with no, no muffler on his van driving through downtown as fast and loud as he can go. And, but it's like, I need to be that witness, that example for Christ, right? But you know, Jesus says, you know, here he is acting on God's authority. But after his death and his resurrection, and he returned right before he left this world, what did he tell his disciples? What is our mission statement? Let's turn to Matthew 28. Let's look at it together. I'll get there. Verse verse 18, it says, And Jesus said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, so in other words, since I have the authority now, it's been given to me, now you are my ambassadors for Christ. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, the words of Jesus. And behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Jesus gives us a command as the ambassador. We are to represent Christ to the world. 
Just like he represented God when he came on earth the first time. He represented God in everything that he did. And now he's commanding us to be ambassadors for his kingdom. Now, Christ's mission is our mission, to go and share the gospel.